Hello, welcome to Exiting Through the 2010s, a podcast where we reflect and dissect the movies of the past 10 years. I'm your host, Jack Draper, with me like host, Clay Williams. I'm actually refracted Clay Williams, yeah. not, not the, not, I'm an echo of Clay Williams. Mm. I'm corrupted. Mm. Uh, you know, it, 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 I'm, it's it just, I'm different, all right? Like, it's I like have your pupils weird, are a little dilated. Yeah, I, I have a little weird eye things going on. It, it's a complicated mess, but I'm here. You know, do you think and, like and eventually worry, there's gonna be a second one of you in the background? Oh no, I killed like, him. Like, wandering around, yeah. No, 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 I killed him. No, 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 no. Like, I mean, it's He's very much closet. like our. Right. It's very much our our Looper episode. Remember when <laughs> I traveled back? Or no, sorry, my future self traveled here, introduced the podcast, and my younger self killed him. <laughs> so it's kind of like that. Um, like it's, it's kind of that situation, but I'm more refracted and corrupted. Let's so be hi. completely honest. That looper episode was like 40 years ago. <laughs> I mean, so it was it fully a pandemic. Could have been time travel. It yeah, was, was pre pandy. It was pre pandy. Pre pandy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know um, why that got me. Um, <laughs> yeah, we did it. We did that looper episode in November when Knives Out came out. So it's like, man, that was, it just feels like so long ago. That must have been super interesting, kind of oh, yeah. those two movies in terms of Ryan Johnson and everything that's happened to him across this decade. Right. Yeah. Well, and I we thought, yeah, I mean, it. it was an interesting episode in itself because, again, I had to murder my future self. Right, so it right. was, again, it was a very interesting episode. Very cold blooded. Yeah. You know, very, very like part beyond, you know, murder of future Clay. Yeah. It makes me wonder what he did. I'm just like, yeah. you know. You just needed to reset the clock. You needed to just kind of get back to basics. Well, I, I also wanted that gold. I mean, he had gold on his back. And I, I just, I think that was really my, the selling point for me. Can't forget about yeah. the gold. And you kind of yeah, look, look like can. Bruce Willis, so. Oh, oh, thank you. I mean, oh, I, I, actually, I shouldn't say thank you. I don't, I don't even know how to perceive <laughs> that as <laughs> right, a person. Right. Is that a compliment? There's a time when that was a compliment. There's a definite <laughs> time in history that that was If this were 1990, I think you would take that well. I mean, I, when I last time I was in LA, I saw Bruce Willis and Cantor's wolfing down, um, just you know something from the deli, and he was just having the time of his life, and he looked like a movie star. So I would good for him. You know, <laughs> get that Siberian like money, <laughs> get that Siberian Eastern European film money, and you know, do what you want. You know, uh, do you guys know about that movie? Who's going to do a Shyamalan? That he was going to play Jesus or something. Yeah, he was, or it's like him walking through the desert with a bottle of water. It's something. It's something very minimal, like Gus Van Sant's Jerry. That I I heard about that script. It's like it's just him, (laughs) like fully. Like he looks like how he looks in Glass, um, but he's just in the desert. (laughs) Is Shyamalan his best? Is Shyamalan his his best director? to work with like I mean, the best performances come out of bruce bruce willis as Shyamalan. you can make the argument for uh, uh john mctiernan but you know i, but I think besides, like, yeah interesting i guess it's it's what mode of, of bruce do you want it's true he has a few yeah. different modes i mean he he can be kind of wry he can be funny he used to be like that classic leading man i honestly can't think of anything that he's been in where he's been like a movie star though over mm. the past decade maybe apart from looper but i feel like that he's playing moonrise kingdom i suppose oh yeah 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, Same year's Looper. For sure. It definitely brings out that that kind of weird play like um play acting quality in a lot yeah. of his actors. Where it's he should like work with Wes again. He should work with Wes again. Why hasn't he worked with I mean, I don't know. Bruce is an orner, ornery guy. I don't know if him and Wes were like the best of buds, but I, I don't know. He was good in that movie. I mean, who would it have movies? thought that Wes would pick a muse like Bill Murray? You know, so it's like he kind of True. it's like an opposite tracks kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm remembering that Bruce Willis was also in The Expendables, which kind of crossed over into your purview with 2010s. He played mm-hmm. the character Trench? Or is that... Short? I, I watched those those two movies when I was young, like, a lot. Because I'm like, this is the apex of cinema. Yeah. He's action. Terry this Crews. is it. This <laughs> is it. You can't get better than this. Everyone's favorite MMA fighter, Randy Couture, was starring in those vehicles. <laughs> Those movies were so weird. I like I didn't question them at the time because I was like, oh my God, these guys must be like the best of the best and this is like gonna be the ultimate thing. But looking back on them, I like I feel like they left absolutely zero cultural footprint. Like they were kind of a fart in the wind. It, a little like bit. they is this just it just they just kinda like dropped in and dropped like yeah, like Dolph Lundgren, Jet Lee. Like these are like people. And it's just everyone kind of like each move with each movie there was a collective Eh. just like a shrug of all shrugs yeah right yeah. right um well this week we have with us isaac Felberg. how are you oh i'm doing great guys thank you so much for having me on the podcast i'm happy to of course uh yeah uh, if you could tell a little bit about yourself and how you got into cinema in the first place for sure um so my background is primarily in, in film journalism. I've written kind of reviews and features for publications like the Boston Globe, uh, the Arts Views, uh, Boston.com, specifically around Boston, uh, from Fortune Magazine until recently, and for Entertainment Weekly, I interned for them a couple of summers ago as well. So I've kind of done the bases in that way, but what I was essentially pursuing with film journalism was just to have a way to talk about all of these really interesting, uh, different kind of affecting visions of cinema that growing up, I absolutely saw as being the best way to escape anything going on. It was just like the ultimate outlet to go watch a movie, to go to the movie theaters, um, which I really hope is a thing again at some <laughs> point in our lives. It, it feels so weird to, mm. to not have that right now. But um, getting the movies, I mean, I could go as far back as like when I first saw Jurassic Park and was absolutely traumatized by mm. the scene of the T-Rex coming out and crushing the car and picking that poor guy up off the toilet. Um, <laughs> but uh, I was like, I was traumatized by, by that, but I was also just so fascinated by it. I was mm. like, oh my God, I completely believe in T-Rexes right now. Um, and so I feel like that was definitely kind of the early for me, oh, I love movies and want to do whatever I can to write about them in some way. Yeah, I feel like Spielberg is a great, like, gateway drug. Oh, oh yeah. Kind of like makes you believe in the magic. Like, even as an adult, it makes you feel like a kid, you know? Yeah, I I can think of just so many Steven Spielberg movies specifically. Like, you can, like, hear them in your head at all times, Mm -hmm. like the Raiders of the Lost Ark score and... Uh, just E.T. I, I know that's like John Williams as well, but like it and like all of those kind of classic composers, but 
he just had this like very magical quality to his movies that you don't really see all that often these days in movies this very kind of I, I don't want to call it retro because at, I feel like at the time it must have also kind of possessed that magic. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. How would you guys describe that? The kind of the Spielberg effect. And it's I almost it's like, the... go ahead. Yeah. It's, it's funny how it hasn't lost its touch since so many people have tried to replicate the Amblin feel. And yeah, that's what, I, yeah, I was going to say. Even, that. that's even exactly when, what I was going to say. Yeah. So even when you have all these people like, um, your Jeff Nichols comes to mind, who is your Duffer who, Brothers. Who Duffer Brothers. Um, Abrams as well. Of course. Um, Abrams huge, like crazy. Yeah, and um, Trevorrow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Let's not bring up Colin Trevorrow. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I was talking with a bunch of friends last night about the Book of Henry, and I didn't think I was, that was going to come out of my mouth. Oh my gosh, who's going to pick Book of Henry? I cannot wait. I can't wait. Um, book of Henry. Like that's oh, yeah. a movie that I would completely believe is some sort of like buried masterpiece that I'm just not on the level to be able to interpret. Yeah, it's this decade's Southland Tales. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um. I, so, how did you first see Annihilation? Annihilation. Oh well, mm-hmm. with Annihilation, I first saw it at the AMC Boston Common. Sweet. Um, when it came out, I was very interested in it because I loved Ex Machina. Um, Alex Garland's previous film and uh, I hadn't read the book the Jeff Andermere book that it's based on but I was just so interested both in the idea of like just continuing to look at what Garland was doing with sci-fi because I felt like there was this really emotional human philosophical element to it with Ex Machina that I was so curious to see how he would bring forward into whatever he did next um and I was also just so fascinated to see what movie was so inscrutable that um, its studio just almost entirely abandoned it, sold it to Netflix internationally. Um, yeah, put really it. botched release. Yeah. Well, yeah, they just like they didn't know what they had with it, and that always interests me when it's so clear that a studio doesn't know what it has, um, mm-hmm. or just doesn't know how to sell it. Um, which you know, looking at Annihilation and the film that it is, um, I feel like there could have been pretty compelling ways that they could have marketed that differently. But I also understand, um, you know, if you get like a summer sci-fi blockbuster, that's absolutely not the tenor of Annihilation or what Garland did with it. So I kind of like went in blind-ish, just kind of hopeful about it. And it com- and I saw it with um, Megan Sergison, who's another kind of local Boston uh, film writer and a, and a good friend from college. Um, And we were both just kind of sitting there afterwards, a little bit kind of dumbfounded by it. Like while I was watching it, I was so hypnotized by everything I was seeing, by the visuals, by the whole idea of of the shimmer. Um, And I was so moved by it too, in a way that it took me a little bit of time to be able to articulate why. Mm. Um, But kind of in that initial experience of watching it, I just remember staggering out, into into the street um right right outside boston common and just kind of blinking and being like wow that was that was really something i knew immediately that i wanted to see it again that i wanted to kind of study it a bit um and also that i did i wasn't sure that i entirely understood it at first it was something that um had all of these meanings i was like picking up on these like scrambled frequencies of 
but I wasn't totally uh, there yet with it. So that was my first experience of watching it. Um, yeah, for sure. And just being impressed but, and kind of awestruck, but also just like pleasantly baffled in mm -hmm. a way. Yeah, it's not like a frustrating baffle. It's just, no, no it's, it's not like a. At all. Yeah, it's it's a it's an addicting baffle. It's, it's sort of like when I first saw um, first reformed, and of course, well, I'm sure we'll get to it eventually. But it's like, I I, I got to go back in there. <laughs> yeah. But um, Clay, what about you? How was your first time? Uh, my first time was I. So I was for a short period of time. I just moved here to Portland. Um, this was back in 2018. I moved in Portland around July 2017. So I was still a new fresh transplant. Um, and I wanted to know, I wanted to, you know, basically try to find more people into movies to, you know, make some social uh, connections and um, roots, as if you will. Um, and I joined this meetup uh you guys know the app meetup it's like the, it's basically like a club app where you you know you like it's i don't know how to explain it it's like a fa it's like, it like facebook Tinder? it's like facebook groups but just groups you know what i mean oh, like okay. it's, sure, that's sure, all sure. it is it's just like these clubs of these book clubs or these reading clubs or these are you know running running clubs or you know, all, all the kind of clubs you can think of and so there's this film club where a bunch of people would just go see a movie together and then go uh, go to a bar or restaurant after and just talk about it. Um, and I was I only did that for, I want to say, a few months. Uh, it just wasn't really my vibe. Um, but the one time I did, I think it was the second or third time, I we went to go see Annihilation, um, which is very much a very weird movie to have a group of you don't know, like a group of strangers to talk about. I mean, we kind of knew each other, but still, it's mm. a you kind of have to, I don't know it's a it's a film it's hard to discuss and debate with people you don't really know because it gets at some really intellectually stimulating and intimate ideas mm. that you don't necessarily feel comfortable the most comfortable discussing in confidence with another person you don't know but I when I first saw it um I was the visuals and the performances really hit me um I I was a bit perplexed and frustrated with some of the narrative choices in like I w 2018 was a weird year for me because I was just transitioning into like I'm still trying to learn and like uh, mold how I feel about movies and like and it's an ever-changing process of how I how I critically think and watch film and so 2018 when I was a little younger and kind of still trying to get a sense of how I can how I can appreciate films that might be that might seem challenging it kind of put me off a little bit I was still impressed I just didn't know how to feel about it um and I was frustrated with some of the lack of answers so to speak because I felt that at times it was just being confusing to be confusing that kind of thing of course mm -hmm. then I watch it again for a film class I had um last fall um and i and you refused you were like no yeah fuck no i'm I not threw watching it away i threw yeah. away all of it i, 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 I threw, threw my textbook the at the teacher no. and i said not doing this um <laughs> i was then removed no i um, want to I, I watched it for a film class uh where you have to and i had to do a pretty extensive 
not long, but like very close, intimate reading of the film for an essay. Um, and when you do that, you have, for my work process, you have to go back and forth, you know, like you have to uh, um, scrub through the film like a million different times to see what pops out, see what scenes or um, shots hit you. Yeah. Um, and so the second time watching it, I was blown away actually. And I yeah. was just kind of like, I don't know what I was thinking back in 2019. Right, right. Um, this film is legit masterful and And it's like, that's kind of like the best kind of second chance with a movie. True. Or it's like you were forced to rethink everything mm-hmm. you once thought. And um, that's got to be kind of hard grips. to, yeah, you have to come to grips and it's got to be hard to have those original thoughts um, while still having the observations for, for, that, uh, for that lesson. Mm-hmm. Um, I did something yeah, similar yeah. in my class for The Man from Uncle, the Guy Ritchie movie. <laughs> which two different movies. Very, very different. And it's funny that you did that task with Annihilation because that just makes so much more sense mm-hmm. to do with a movie that's cerebral. Um, and while I do like The Man from Uncle, I, I don't think, it, yeah, it would never be the movie that I would put under a microscope to be a little topical. Um, and my experience with the movie was like the, one of the last weeks of its release before it was pulled. It was, I think I caught it and I was the only one in the theater. Really? And I'm I, talking about is, Annihilation, right? Yeah, yeah, Annihilation. Yeah. And um, I worked at a movie theater at the time. And you had, and the rule was that at least one person had to buy a ticket to that screening in order for someone who worked there to go in for free. And I had to wait like an entire day for someone to buy a ticket. So it was just like, no, it's like eight (laughs) o'clock. It's like, come on. But yeah, and I was just, yeah, same with you, man. I was blown away. And um, I I felt like numb. But it was, a, it was a good kind of numbing uh, because it felt like you just watched the world end, but the world ending was just in a bubble. <laughs> like, so it was, it was very, it was a very strange feeling to wrap your head around. Um, it was like, a, I always think of this movie like a dream that's filmed. Yeah. It's like, it's like something that, that only your mind I, can think of. I mean, you could say nightmare, honestly. Yeah. 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 So, totally. Um, yeah, this movie is amazing. <laughs> yeah. um, Alex Garland is one of those guys that I, I always find fascinating how he can write dialogue that's so blunt and straightforward, yet it's, and it's not inaccessible, um, but it's so philosophically challenging where it's yeah. like you don't, you don't need such window dressing to, to make it sound complex. I, I, it definitely wears its themes on its sleeve, and, and, I, and I love that. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I, with Garland, that is just one of the things that I really admire about him is that he's exploring these incredibly heady sci-fi concepts, whether it's like artificial intelligence in Ex, in Ex Machina or like the idea of like cellular division and all of these very complex biological processes and annihilation or even... I don't know if you guys have seen Devs. His series. I have seen Devs. I loved the Devs. Yeah. Devs is so interesting. I was very yeah. mixed on Devs, but I thought that the ideas that it was playing with around predetermination or predeterminism, excuse me, and free will is just like 
I have not seen a series that's tried to tackle that many ideas in that directly analytical way. Um, because, it, I mean, you've, you've seen Devs, you know, he doesn't ever shy away from the very nitty gritty of, like, this, of the theoretical science behind it. Um, but in that series especially, he spends so much time in labs talking about different experiments that they're yeah. running and it's somehow still fascinating for eight episodes seven episodes yeah yeah it's definitely much like a computer engineers for computer engineers or, yeah. or like computer code it's not like inaccessible again like i i think he's uncompromising both in sometimes his violence and how in his like uh not um like just technicalities i guess like he's he just doesn't stray away from from the science of it all yeah so i still i I love that i still need to read that novel that he wrote the beach that he was like the thing that really put him on the map in the 90s but that is like just kind of such a thing with him you say about like the violence as well Mm -hmm. he has such an ambitious stories that he puts his characters in but he is so focused i feel on the flesh and blood of his characters and on the ways in which these kind of concepts interact with the corporeal with like the physical form uh, of his characters i'm thinking specifically in ex machina uh, that scene where donald gleason's character caleb is just so convinced by these arguments about whether artificial intelligence would be aware that it is artificial, that he, you know, takes a razor to his arm to see if it's right. but he can't, he like can't even imagine whether or not he could have just been created and had his memories programmed. And I mm-hmm. feel like Garland just has such a good bead on something that, you know, Black Mirror is also exploring, which is this very nightmarish intersection of tech and human psychology and behavior, where at what point do the things that you're making have the ability to replace it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he definitely has a feel of a Black Mirror episode. That's a good yeah. comparison. Uh, and his characters are always going through a very internal struggle and a crisis that that they are never in control of although they have some understanding like Donald Gleason or Natalie Portman, but those characters are seeing things that us as human beings want to comprehend, but on the surface seem uncomprehendable. And that's, and so they're a great audience surrogate for that. Um, so like the shimmer and uh, Ava in Machina, I'm sure we'll do Machina at some point. It's, but it's like, so it's not like we need to like recap, you know, but yeah. It's like, um, I, I think that's so smart for having it not be your classic hero's journey. Like they don't, I don't think his characters change at the end, but it's like their, their change is more internal. Yeah, it's, it's definitely like a mental process. Maybe it's like it, to kind of take what you're saying and reframe it slightly. Maybe it's not. Uh, or refract it. Or refract it. <laughs> Um, maybe it's not, you know, that they're changing, but something is changing them. And, mm. you know, with, it's not even a matter of them consenting to change. It is just this kind of process that is happening around them that has to affect them. But they have no say in the matter. Like, you know, even Ex Machina, where it's more external, um, Caleb 
uh, without, uh, do you guys do spoilers? How do you kind of? Uh, oh yeah, uh, spoil, yeah spoil, usually, spoil, yeah, spoil. yeah, because like yeah. it's not like we're doing new releases, so it just feels. Okay, okay, yeah. so like just like with Ex Machina, that ending of him being trapped in this. What? Kind of- no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Um, please stop me. Stop me if you want me to save something. But like the, um, him being trapped in this kind of scientific facility and Ava being free uh, to, to run out and just be integrated into society. I feel like so much of Garland's processes are about this idea of some scientific advancement or some really not easily comprehended advancement or change or inhuman thing. Um, it supersedes the human. It kind of takes over and it just becomes the way of the future and there's really mm-hmm. no fighting it. A lot of his movies, I feel, are about transmutation, about, I mean, to talk about First Reform that you brought up earlier, that whole idea that you can't really unsee or unfeel things and it will transform you uh, no matter kind of what happens beyond your experiencing of this, of this thing, this other power it just has to change your life because there's no way that you can kind of step out of the room or, you know, exit the shimmer. It gets all over you. Right. And that's kind of, that's kind of my whole take with the movie that I feel like this movie to me has always felt like change or transformations. It's Mm -hmm. like how we feel like two different people as the movie like spells out very well. Um, That we can feel like two different people in the matter of seconds or days, um, just just from one event, like taking Cassie, who lost her daughter to leukemia, mm-hmm. and it's like that event can just make you into a, a separate person, as the movie points out. Or, um, yeah. So I I just think it's it succeeds there. Um, I think Garland is somewhat obsessed with the concept and the limitations of humanity in general. Um, limitations, especially especially when it comes to ex machina and to annihilation at some point um because like annihilation he's kind of discussing if what if humans kind of evolved like what if they changed but not necessarily for the better but or for the worse just in a way to i don't know what if a force made it fundamentally different to be human and but does that change who you are as a person uh, Ex Machina, you know, it's the whole, you know, whole Blade Runner. Um, what is, uh, who has autonomy? You know, what is, what is a human if not a cognitive being with, hum, hum, you know, um, human aspects to them, that kind of stuff. Um, but I think he's also like 28 Days Later, what he, what he wrote mm-hmm. is his first film that he wrote, um, I think discusses like, how can we stay human in an inhumane time? You know, and it, I think that's very deliberate when it comes to um, the soldiers uh, with Christopher Eccleston and how they've kind of, they've become, they've adapted in an inhumane way while Killian Murphy and Naomi Harris are trying to remain human, even though there is this discussion of pessimism and optimism between them. Um, and I think, like, I think he is very much, uh, like, wants to discuss how are people still people in situations that kind of require you to be different? Um, 
how can you experience something while still remaining your, you know, rates retaining your humanity. Um, I haven't seen all of devs yet. I saw the first few episodes. Um, so for me to really discuss it, I think I have to watch the whole thing. Um, but I am interested. I think Garland is a very interesting writer and he's also very much into adapting material. Um, he adapted dread one of my favorite movies, which is like his probably his most existential film about how Judge Dredd needs to defend Mega City One from the Mama clan. I think it's like a huge existential comment on all of reality. I'm joking, by the way. Um, oh. It's it's I'm, it's not existential. You're, you're ready for that argument. I want to. No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, I'll, give give me a few days, and if once you we get to that Dredd, episode, which will last six hours. Um, yeah, I, sure love, I, will. I love I love Dread. By the way, it's like if I had to say if technically <laughs> Garland kind of ghost directed it, it's my favorite Garland film. If I it, like, that's a hot take I have. Well, um, I've, I've definitely heard about things with that set. I know Pete Travis is immensely talented, but I know that Garland also was very involved in terms mm-hmm. of that played out and a lot of the look. And you can kind of see it too. A lot of the oh, yeah. slow motion cinematography, especially, um, and just that kind of haze that kind of surrounds the movie at different points. I do think- Oh yeah, I mean, a lot of the dream, like the psychic aspects to it scream Garland to me. If, like, if, you're talking, I, yeah. if you're talking about Dread as being an existential classic, though, I think that you need to call it by its full name, Dread 3D. And the fact oh, that yeah, that's right. Just, oh, God. You know. 2012, man, what a time. My gosh, um, yeah. But he's we haven't also, done much 2012. But. No. Um, and he's also, he also, but he has adapted other work, too, too in his one of his screenplays, uh, Never Let Me Go, a film I have not seen and don't know much about, with Kira Knightley, Carrie Mulligan, Andrew Garfield. Wow, this sounds great. Um, he adapted. An, yeah. Say it again. It was a Kazuo Ishiguro book as well. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. A, that's a good movie. I think you should definitely mm. check that one out. I will check that out. But he's definitely he does adapt. Like uh, this wasn't like I mean he also he also is a novelist. Um, so I think it's interesting because you would think when you think of auteurs or people with like these singular forces of creativity in cinema who have this certain creative control in all of their work that, you know, it's like, you know, your Tarantino's, your Wes Anderson's, you're just people who are like, this is, this is my movie. They mean, they can like, they off it's authorship. I mean, that's what a tour theory is. It's authorship. He's very much not that kind of director in the sense of he is also, he incorporates other people's work. I mean, he started as a screenwriter having other people work on his, like Danny Boyle specifically on his stuff. Like he, you know, he's not, he doesn't, how do I say this? He doesn't seem like this, like, dominant controlling force of, like, a creative. Like, he does mm-hmm. seem quite, like, he does seem, he, he, he seems like a team player from what I've, like, I think Devs is probably his most, this is mine of all of his work, if I have to say. I mean, it is his blank check. I, I do think that as well. Devs is a blank check. Might be onto something there with Devs because I, I also think Devs, more than any other Garland thing I've seen, goes completely up its own ass by the end of mm-hmm. it. It's like um, not in a way I didn't enjoy per se, but like it very much takes its kind of ideas about this mysterious thing that they're working on. I won't spoil exactly what the project is because he saves that, but like. <laughs> Um, it takes its its very theoretical sci-fi 
thing in a direction that I actually found more frustrating because it becomes so theoretical that there's no way for the characters to believably exist within it. And when it does mm. happen that it go it crosses from the, the theoretical to the literal, it's happening in such a kind of a, a very modern Silicon Valley enclave that you almost don't buy it. Um, or at least I had trouble buying it just because yep. it, it, he situated this world that where reality applies a little bit more. And I think it does in the very obviously refracted shimmer of Annihilation or even this very remote abode um, in Ex Machina where you know anything could happen because it's so detached. It's just a little pocket dimension where they can develop their AI. Um, and I think that that's something that you're also talking about with Garland, that he finds a way to create these like almost sci-fi biospheres in ways that are often a lot more subtle than he does it in Annihilation where it's an actual zone that they're crossing into. Um, mm -hmm. There's definitely like spaces and places in in Alex Garland's films that you enter. Even you were talking about Dread when he enters this drug den hideout that um, Lena Headey's villain, you say her name is Mama? Mama. Mama. That, that's how Carl Urban says it with pure gravel in his voice. <laughs> and he is so great. My favorite Carl Urban performance for sure. But like, um, it changes the rules when you enter a place like that. I think he's very much concerned as well with how kind of your grasp on reality can vary depending on the rules of the place that you exist in. Um, Very true. I think another going, going to that like den of like a, like a place that he's, that he tries to familiarize you in, mm -hmm. there's a certain beauty in all of his locations in the, the devs facility in uh, um, Nathan, uh, Nathan's facility and Ex Machina and and the Shimmer they're all like really pretty to look at um who should well he creates look? environments that seem different yes. and also individualized for the movie which uh -huh. are cool um Ex Machina has like maybe some of my favorite production design ever um I just love the way I will I've always been really in love with the way that looks and also, and going, and that kind of applies to the Shimmer as well, right? Rob Hardy shot it, yeah. And so it's like, you know, Annihilation is, or the Shimmer specifically, it's a place where anything can happen, and you do not, you don't know what's around the corner, and it can be, uh, and you're just figuring things out just as the characters are, but it's just like a flower garden you know as as you're going through it it's like um yeah it's just magical so it's it's interesting how it how it and as you said before it's nightmare it's nightmarish um yeah. but at the same time you're you're glued to it because it's not dreary um i always thought of this movie as sort of like a like an inspired by from a stalker the tarkovsky movie tarkovsky? Uh -huh. just on the bare bones of like a group of people who have a specialty in science going from point A to point B and the things that happen over time. Yeah. But the difference with Stalker is like, it's a dreary, dreary, bleak world that is painted there. Sure. And there's not much like energy or life. And I think there's a lot of energy and life here. 
um, even literal life, right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, crossbreeding in fact, but it's like, you can even read the ending as bleak. Yeah, I, I will so it's, yeah. find, you know, is incredibly bleak, but, you know, to what you're saying, like, that very first shot in Stalker, like, those, you know, those right. double doors, like, you're you're entering this zone. I think it's it's actually called the it's zone. It's called the zone, yeah. Where, which is, you know, I absolutely see Annihilation as a remix or an update or in some or way. Or a refraction. Or a refraction. Uh, play, you, you, you did it again. I just love that word. <laughs> from half court, from half court. It's just, um, it, it absolutely advances those same things. And I feel like, you know, Stalker is absolutely, and Solaris too, in the same school yep. of emotional, emotional, philosophical sci-fi that Garland plays in, which is incredibly difficult to do. I think you see so few of them happen because it's so difficult to even pitch that, let alone to make it and have it work out. Um, it, but, Both you know, direct their actors to be cold and, and distant too in but their relations. Very, very yeah. interior, which I think is right. you know, like they really value that idea of a landscape reflecting what's happening inside of the characters. And I feel like with Stalker, I mean, it is such a heavy film. I, mm. I do strongly believe that both Stalker and Annihilation are two of the best movies ever made about depression and about mm. the kind of emotional process through which depression casts this pall over the entire world that you see, and it changes it. It seems like an absolute apocalypse and like the beginning of something that you know, you're not really sure what it is. And to me, that's something that's always been very native to science fiction, that question of like how it impacts your humanity when this new thing arrives that changes how you see things. Yeah. It's also very much in the manipulation of time as well. Like I, I, almost daily, I think about that one moment in Stalker of like they're on that train or the um, the transportation, and it's like this constant sound of the wheel going across the rail. Are you, do you know what I'm talking about? And and it's sort of like you're in this state of being that. Of course, maybe the train isn't going along that slowly, but because the the character is like sort of doomed into where he's going into the zone, that it makes you feel like this is it. Like it's we don't know where we're going, but it might not be as good as we hope because of of the the time that Andre Tarkovsky is taking. And similarly with here, like they don't even with uh, with that moment right away when they don't even remember setting up camp, and all they remember is the entering of the shimmer, <laughs> where it's like, okay, things are immediately a little off. It's very sobering, like it, like that kind of discovery of like we're already kind of fucked here. <laughs> like like the moment they walk in, shit already starts to go down, which is, um, I think it kind of lets the audience know that like this is the most unpredictable environment there ever there has ever been as in like there's nothing here that can be really solved or predicted or um realized through logic it's very much something of an entirely different set of you're talking about rules earlier isaac it's a whole new set of rules in the in the zone it's just in the shimmer it's just every all of the foundational rules of science 
are being changed and manipulated and corrupted um, to fit its own environment. And, and when you put it, and the great thing about that is when you put it in a group of scientists, that it's, it's more interesting for the audience to be like, when they say it makes no sense, that's concerning. Because yeah, right. these are experts right. in the They're field. They're experts, like, like physiologists. and. Uh, if I went in there and yeah. said it made no sense, no one, all right, you're, <laughs> you're, you're fucking dumb. Of course it doesn't make sense to you. But like actual scientists and people with PhDs and experts are just like, this makes no sense to the audience. just like, holy shit, it makes no sense. Yeah, and especially since they've, they're now sending in scientists and they've already gone through several test groups, like test mm-hmm. guinea pigs, like the military and... Well, you could maybe call them suicide squads. You could. Should you? you okay, could. well, uh, we'll see you guys next week. Um, <laughs> this has been great. Thank you for coming on. No. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I think the fact, and, and also something that I thought of last night, finally, after my third time seeing this, like they're, the fact that they're all women could have something to do with that this is a new breed in that um that test group like they're trying multiple uh scenarios yeah i i I think that you know there is a lot in annihilation about self-destruction and about this impulse to just kind of um implode and that that is something that that i mean they address it directly in the film as something i believe that ventress says to lena um, what, you're the biologist, you should know about this. Isn't this desire to self-destruct, isn't it programmed into our cells? Um, and I, th- I thought it was really interesting that Annihilation has a team of women going into this space because if it had been a team of men, I feel like the movie's critique and the movie's points about that, um, about that process of self-destruction would have felt much more a discussion of masculinity. And a discussion, mm-hmm. a discussion of toxic masculinity specifically in that construct that just ruined so many men's lives. Um, but from having like a female perspective on it, I feel like it does a few different things. I mean, it makes it more about the kind of the question of their humanity and like the that kind of inquisitive nature of all of them. They are scientists and they're going in there and they don't have ego. They don't have this machismo and this desire to conquer the things that they're encountering. They just want to understand. And I feel like um, I have this movie fresh in my mind because I just watched it last night, but um, The Beach House, which is now on Shudder, is this you know very kind of similar movie in terms of the fact that it's about this um, change. It's also set along the coast um, and it's about this kind of transformation of a landscape. And its main character is this young student who wants to be an astrobiologist and understand the ways in which like different microbes, different kind of small forms of life can survive in incredibly inhospitable conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, and the movie becomes this kind of nightmare of um, the world is not quite right. Things in this space as this strange fog rolls in from the street, or sorry, not from the street, from the sea, um, it, it just changes things. It makes some of the plant life grow uh, and uh, glow strange colors on, on shore. It kind of creates this very putrid, um, colored atmosphere 
that uh, people can't breathe in and it starts changing the people that it touches in strange ways. Uh, I don't think it's in any way accidental that the characters who are witnessing a lot of those changes in films like Annihilation, like The Beach House, I'm sure you guys could name some as well, um, they're, you know, very much more kind of sensitive and kind of in touch with these changes of the, in their environments. And I feel like it's a lot easier to kind of have that discussion through female characters just based on kind of a lot of baggage that men, especially in Annihilation Soldiers, mm. would bring into the picture. Yeah, and um, they're much easier to empathize, like not not just understanding, but they hold a certain kind of uh, caring. And, and of course, like that maternal instinct, I'm sure, or it's just that's already built in. They can, like once you get to this scene, of the uh, flower people, <laughs> like mm -hmm. the uh, floral sculptures, yeah, it feels it feels like it would it wouldn't feel right if you had a movie about Oscar Isaac's uh, squad of soldiers, yeah, and pushing well, that. You see what happens to them too, you right? See of course, they turn on each other, and the way that they respond to the change is to try to fight it. They see it mm -hmm. as an infection. They see it as a threat uh, and they are scared of it and they fight it and it fights them back and it wins. And it's just this um, really powerful moment in the movie. I mean, you had mentioned before we went live about discussing favorite scenes uh, on this podcast. I think my favorite scene, bar none, in Annihilation. Oh, yeah, we'll save it to the end. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, we'll get into that later. Sure. Well, in, in that, like to be less specific about it then, um, I, I feel like the film's treatment of the effect that this landscape is having on the characters, they react with these varying degrees of wandering and scientific curiosity because they, they just want to understand what's happening to them. They're not even scared of it, especially in the character of Josie, for example. Mm. She embraces it ultimately this idea that she is going to like grow flowers and that there is this um real shift that's happening where she's i, I well it, it's that quote from the trailer like it's not destroying everything it's it's making something new they knew right mm -hmm. and, and she I mean, just wants to I mean, go yeah. she just wants to go in harmony like she just she has already seen the dueling fates of the understanding and the fighting so it's like no i'm just gonna accept and yeah. uh there's something there's something very human about that um, I think there's there's definitely every shade of, of a human being's instinct to be found with this squad. Like uh, um, Anya, it's Gina Rodriguez, I think. Like her instinct to uh, combat this mm -hmm. is is also it's. I don't think you would question that because it's like, of course, I think that that you you see something that is attacking you and, and your instinct is to be physical, but also like if this isn't some, like everyone, like Natalie Portman and Tess Thompson know that this isn't, this isn't right. Like this is something that it's yeah. a little bit unnatural. It's not well, something that we're used to. Well, they're all operating on different perspectives. Like, I mean, any good sci-fi or horror movie 
show tries to show through the situation the inner humanity of us all it reveals our true selves yada 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 um, it show and so the shimmer itself shows the different perspectives people tackle when when the different perspectives people have when tackling um, a situation a dangerous situation an emergency if you will um, I think so like so the idea that first they send a whole b- bunch of soldiers like you were talking about Isaac how their instinct is to attack each other fight it so to speak instead of understand it that would make sense if they're coming from the military background. Um, and now you send four scientists in, um, or leveling degrees of science, um, science expertise, um, they're going to be questioning it. And, um, Josie, no, not Josie's uh, Tessa Thompson's character. What's Gina Rodriguez's character? Anya. Anya. Anya comes from a different perspective and she's operating on a, uh, she's operating on fear and paranoia of what is happening while Josie is more inquisitive and curious, um, Ventress is more driven and ambitious and um, I don't want to say inhuman, but she is just, she's definitely like on, she's on the most of a suicide mission out of all of them. Yes. She's, she's completely blind, blindful or uh, blinders on. She is just so concentrated and so driven by finding the solution. The end, like the, basically the gold, gold at the end of the rainbow, like she needs to find a conclusion to this. It's definitely like the curiosity of being a human being that's also driving them like yeah. yes they are volunteering and they were handpicked right i believe ventress says that she likes they volunteered yeah and so it's but it's also of like what we can all see this so it's like i'm curious what the treasure chest has inside of it yeah. but they're all going for different that's reasons what, yeah that's what that's always, always how i've seen it too that yeah, I mean, curiosity is is very big in, in all these characters. That I just Cassie's trying to Cassie's choosing to go there because she wants to process her grief of mm. her daughter. Josie it's telling, is trying. Yeah, and it's telling with those with those deer. Mm-hmm. Right with that. Visual. Um, Josie is trying to get uh, to go there to basically find. I don't want to say find her meaning, but find like a way to. I guess leave her like leave her um she's kind of she wants to be something else as in she wants to exist outside of herself and outside of her consciousness she wants to um uh, discover something and she wants to basically be outside of her own thoughts and inner struggle um I like I mean Ventress there is to is it's there to discover and to basically um to redeem herself in the sense of setting all these people to die and not finding the solution so this is her time to like take control take responsibility and find out for herself and you could also um, see ventress as like a noble self-sacrifice in order mm-hmm. for as like almost bait to get um yeah. to get uh, um lena in there it's, it's and, interesting because, yeah. you know, all of these characters, you're talking about them in a lot of ways. I think it's interesting, Clay, that you see Ventress as being someone who has a lot of guilt because I, I think that she develops that more over the course of the film as she's kind of seeing that she's leading these other people to their death and she's watching mm-hmm. them. Um, but I think it's so interesting how all of these characters are self-destructing in their own way. Like, you know... Oh yeah. Ventress's body is betraying her. She has cancer. She's certainly going to die. 
um, and she knows that. Josie, on the other hand, is, you, you see from the scars on her arms, she has struggled with depression, with suicidal ideation, and she wants to die or be free or experience some sort of relief from this experience mm. that she's going through. Cassie, the same sort of thing with her grief. She is seeing it change and color everything that she goes through. And when she goes forward into the shimmer, she's one of the least phased by a lot of the things that are happening. And also one of the first to kind of give herself over to it or be taken by it, mm. um, just because she's so already there. To me, Cass mm. is this character who's already living in this very warped world that is more emotional. Mm -hmm. um, and then Anya, finally, I think that she's the more interesting one from this reading because she reacts to kind of seeing her fingerprints change, to kind of seeing the environment with that same sort of military aggression and that anger. Mm -hmm. uh, and she's the representative out of all of them. I believe she's a paramedic um, when, in her background, and that's kind of her, her goal. But she would do, was doing that in the army, and she's kind of part of that same special forces school training. Um, I think it's, it's interesting to kind of pull back to, I think, what you were saying earlier, Clay, about military, um, the ways in which Garland's films really attack that idea of surrendering your, surrendering your individuality to something and not prioritizing that. And I think Anya absolutely is the representative for the military contingent in the film and this idea of following orders and not really questioning them. And by the time she kind of questions it and knows how afraid she is, it's too late. And she's already like so deep in there with all of them that there's no real way out. And so she kind of devolves into this paranoia and self-destructs in a very expulsive way where she's trying to kind of tie everyone else up and just attack this thing head on. And of course it doesn't work, but I think it's really beautiful in a way that even in that paranoia, she still wants to try to help Cass. And it's still a lot driven from her kind of loyalty of no woman left behind. Um, and unfortunately that I believe is what ends up getting her with the scream bear that I can't believe we're into like, oh, I think over half an hour at this point talking about Annihilation and we haven't brought up the scream bear yet. Right. Great guy, yeah. known him for 10 years. <laughs> no, no scream bear. I, the scream bear, to me, is one of the more terrifying things I've seen in a movie. Yeah, it's uh, it's nightmare fuel. Uh, I I am awakened in a cold sweat just thinking about it. You know, it's it's one of those things where um, you feel you feel like it's it's yeah. I don't know. Um, you remember in like two thousand and nine, two thousand and eight, YouTube, and this is yeah, this is going somewhere. And there'd be those videos where it's like. Um, don't watch this unless you want to be scared or something. It would be, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah it feels like something like that. Um, yeah. Like there's that one video I, that's like our generation is like traumatized from things like this, but there's this stock footage of a car driving down this long driveway and it's like 30 seconds, 45 seconds long. And then at the very end, Reagan from the exorcist will pop up on the screen and as a lucky you're like, whoa! <laughs> so, like, to me, the Bear from Annihilation is kind of like that, where you feel frightened, but it's like you can't help but but look away because there's such a build-up to it, too. Mm. Like, oh, it takes its time. 
It really, I yeah. mean, it's lingering throughout the entire movie is the scream bear. And it's, I mean, the whole, I mean, it's very, the, play, the movie plays with a lot of like, well, what's going on? What's, you know, the mystery of it all. Um, and I think the gratifying thing about the scream bear is that they actually show it to you. Like they show it to you. This is the scream bear. Hello. Say hi. And yeah, they, yeah. you know, they show the actual mouth and like how it kind of operates. It take like, it, it doesn't shy away from it. It's not like the shark from Jaws or whatever. It's like, you can actually see it and see it interact with others and um it's very effective um especially i mean that i mean the idea of once you eat or you know it depends i don't know i guess i mean the bear killed cassie i i you know i don't know if the terminology is correct because it's such a weird it's such a weird situation that kill murder seems too simplistic but it consumes cassie at least and the idea of a creature consuming another person's voice and being able and having like basically capturing their essence inside themselves and weaponizing it is a truly terrifying thing to think about. Oh, it's like crazy, crazy, like just nuts. It's, yeah. it's one of those things. I think that the scream bear is just, because what it says and, and what it's kind of screaming is help me. And it has this uh, with Cassie's voice. And to me, it is just this terrifying embodiment of pain and of the kind hopelessness. of hopelessness, hopelessness, and the kind of monstrousness of transformation and of change. You know, it is this bear that has been affected and warped and changed. Its cells have been either corrupted or, as Clay says, refracted by the by the shimmer and by everything in it. And to me, through this reading of the film that we're talking about, of uh, the shimmer as this metaphor for depression and the journey of moving through it stalker as well mm -hmm. it is that kind of warden of this kind of space where it's wandering around and if you are not careful it will find you and it will kill you and to me that is embodied that really is symbolic of the worst elements of depression of the kind of the pain and the anger and the ball of confusion that can just kind of you know, run past everything. I think it's so interesting when it attacks them, it breaks almost everything in the room. Right. Um, yeah. It's destructive and it's destructive in a very kind of impulsive, natural way. And it's interesting when it kills um, uh, Anya, it rips out her throat, like it rips out her throat and jaw. So it's like, maybe that's how it devours your vocal box. And it makes you incapable of speech. You can't say Yeah, it. right, right. Um, and also, I just love the creature design, designs, too. Um, just, like, the, the bear is so interesting to look at, and the alligator uh, crossbreeding with the shark, I think it said. Yeah. Yeah, and, um, of course, like, the, the floral um, creatures are so interesting. The, uh, um, I mean, the visual effects, let's just let's check out like the cgi not and, nominated and, which is nuts because this is Goodness. i think if you're going to nominate a garland movie for visual effects i would uh, although it did win he won for ex machina which is no that's what i mean but that, i think i think in, that, that's well that's exactly what i'm saying it's like i think annihilation would be more apt in that award because yeah. i think it's just a gorgeous i mean the ending when i, I remember mean, how it, big of a surprise that was too when fury road was supposed to win mm-hmm um, yeah. I think that the 
the at, at the end when the White House burns down, some of the like and the shimmer basically breaking down after that, some of the most visually gorgeous things I've ever seen. I mean, the tree is burning. I mean, it's just it's incredible what he does it's with quite color. Yeah. Um, and basically changing I mean the whole idea of the shimmer and the and how like attractive it is as a concept and as a storytelling method and as a visual idea is that it takes everything you know about the like the concrete like concrete ideas and rules and um things about life and it changes them the trees are different the deer are different like it takes mm. everything that is universal and set in stone of existence in our current reality and it says fuck that we're gonna make it a little different and we're gonna like it's gonna it's it's gonna it it's very much like it's affecting in that same way in that you're seeing universal truths be corrupted in front of your very eyes um and i think it's uh it has an effect on you as a person i think um i think it's yeah, yeah. It's, it's just visually incredible on a 40 million dollar budget um i think yeah. is pretty commendable I think with that, you also see just what we were talking about at the very beginning of this about the fact that its studio, Universal, was its studio? Paramount, Paramount is Paramount. the distributor, Paramount. but the, um, Paramount the just production be, company is... The production company is uh, Skydance and DNA and Rudin's thing, but like it, they, they really... Just oh yeah, that's right, that's Rudin. They didn't really know what to do with the film, and so they kind of dropped it. They didn't kind of market it very well at all. They released it very early in the year, in February, in the United States. I think its lack of acclaim and its lack of, or relative lack of acclaim, it was well received by critics, but its lack of awards attention, I think, is entirely on Paramount. Just yeah, one hundred percent. Not really knowing what to do. I think if this movie had come out in November, if it had come out even in October. Um, and it had been positioned in that way, it could have cleaned up at least in the visual department because exactly like you're saying, Clay, it's so well thought through, the visual kind of language of this movie, the way that it cre it finds all of these impossibly beautiful, but also incredibly informative ways to show you the kind of cellular reproduction or fraction that's happening within the shimmer. Um, and I love, like, even the much more subtle effects, like, talk about Stalker, the glass of water. Mm -hmm. the, whole, um, the whole way in which it shows. The residue or something. Yeah, yeah the right. it's good. That kind of, that image of just this kind of strange connection and this strange kind of rebirth of something that shouldn't have sentience and shouldn't have um, the ability to move how it does, but it does. Because things... Yeah and some things off um outside of the shimmer itself it just it changes you and you change your surroundings it's just to me it's this beautiful um flowering that you know you just can't uh you can't deny it and you can't run from it it's just going to happen and it's going to take over the world and yeah to me that's like that's such a sci-fi idea it's a garland right. idea it's an hp lovecraft idea and it's just um, at the base of cosmic horror, which I mean, that's a whole different discussion is would you guys consider Annihilation to be cosmic horror? Yeah, and I just love the look of the shimmer itself. Like I'm sure the, the joke's been made before, but it's like uh, car wash soap 
residue or it's like the what's left on your car window. Oh, I see. Yeah. That's what you're saying. <laughs> um, with like the purples and the pinks and the streaks and the blues. Um, but as for cosmic horror, I, I think, I think I, I would definitely apply it there because this movie as horror is such an interesting idea as well. Let alone having it be because sci-fi horror. Uh, I don't know. I, we talked about genre here before, I think, but it's interesting. It's interesting because like, it, it's I, I definitely don't know. existential horror. But that's a lot of horror, yeah. I guess. But like, it's yeah. definitely one of the more or elevated of- horror. Oh God! Huh? Huh? <laughs> right? Good one. That door closed for now. <laughs> the whole thing. I mean, I I think that the genre discussion is really interesting with something like Annihilation because you know it like it reminds me of Ex Machina. It reminds me of Stalker, but it also reminds me greatly of something like The Fly, mm-hmm. uh, where yeah, I can see that. Where you've got like, I mean, he has that line in it where he's like talking. About Garland is a bit Cronenbergian as well. Uh, yeah, right. I, I just, yeah, that's like, good. That's Gold, good. Like Goldblum with the fly, he has that line where he's just like the disease. He talks about it as a disease. What's happening to him? The fly having gotten into the device with him. <coughs> he says like, uh, he's talking to uh, Ronnie, the the girl in it. He says, uh, "What does the disease want?" And he says, "It wants to turn me into something else." Is that so bad? most people would give anything to be something else. And it's right. like, it's like that whole idea with Annihilation, I think is great because it has that body horror, but it projects it outward into the entire environment. And the entire film becomes this just um, venue, this vista for transformation of these incredibly strange, uh, creepy, really in some ways directly horrifying stuff. I mean, like, the the screen bear for example is a, like you know that is a categorical horror uh idea horror idea yeah, yeah the yeah, idea yeah. of you know it just taking these people um and I, I think it's so much more effective because the movie itself doesn't present as a horror movie so when that happens it feels even more like the dark um kind of in the same way that the t-rex and the velociraptor is doing jurassic park where it's like you have this thing of wonder and then you have this um, B-side of it where if you look under that beautiful kind of car oil uh, shimmer thing, you'll find right. your, worst, your worst nightmares are in there as well as the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think... Uh, also, um, go ahead. Uh, the idea of uh, Josie growing into one of those floral creatures mm-hmm. is also a Cronenbergian idea. It is, but it's so um, It is, yeah. It's, it's, you can't look away from it, yeah. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. one of the main differences in the horrifying aspects of um, Annihilation compared to a film like The Fly is, like, I mean, The Fly is very much, it's not a subtle film. Uh, I love it. It's one of my, like, favorites. <laughs> I mean, I'm a huge, I mean, the practical effects itself is extraordinary, but it's an overwhelming force that is displayed very outwardly in its effects, you know, you know, scabs start falling out of his fingernails, you know. Can't wait to get to Cronenberg's uh, decade. Yeah. yeah. That'll um, be interesting. That'll be interesting for sure. But like the what, what's more scary about the shimmer is that it fucks up the most foundational parts of yourself, but doesn't change, but doesn't radically, radically, it just corrupts it 
I, I know I've been saying that a lot. It's just that they use that <laughs> word in the film. And I think it's just a very good descriptor for it. It changes it to its foundational level of your cellular, your anatomic, whatever. It's just, it changes you as a person, but doesn't change you into another being. I mean, yeah, okay, and that's kind of the consider. thing with the ending is how I've always looked at it. It's like, um, let's, I, I've always seen it. You guys can see it another way that the Lena and the Kane from what we see are I think they're both duplicates for me. Um echoes. The echo refractions, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. and <laughs> just yeah. take a shot really at this point. Just take a shot every time. <laughs> and because they are other beings, that love or that electricity that once was there that we see has not gone away. Be and that's signaled by the embrace at the end where it's like, okay, there is some kind of magnetism between these two, but even though they might not be the conventional human being, right? Where it's um, it's like Ava falling in love in Ex Machina, where it's like, this is not a human being kind of chemistry, but the idea of it is is what remains intact. Yeah. Well, they have a bond that no other beings in existence have. They've both experienced the shimmer. They're both connected by the shimmer. They're both copies that are duplications or products of the shimmer. So I think it's one of the things where if any being is supposed to be together, it's those two because they have this horribly deep bond. It's such an interesting thing to hear you both say that because I I feel like that's a very hopeful reading of Garland in both of those movies because with Ex Machina, for example, I always interpreted it as Ava playing Caleb, that she never felt anything for him, and that she was just kind of pushing his buttons in the same way that she that he was trying to push hers. Um, and similarly with Annihilation, the ending of that movie, um, they accept each other, and they accept that they'll be with each other, but something's off, and something's changed with them. And they both know it, and they can't kind of put their finger on it. And to me, it's not that hopeful of an ending. It's this mm-hmm. kind of very ambiguous kind of thing very much like in the same way as stalker with the stalker's wife this um this whole idea that she has just kind of accepted that the the stalker's kind of presence and Mm -hmm. accepted like what her life will be with this thing is just that that's what she has that's what her life is going to be and similarly with lena and kane Tarkovsky's endings are usually like that too where it's just very just matter of fact (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. it's just kind of it's almost refreshing after the existentialism of the rest of the film as well where you have it reduced to this one human bond and this one relationship and conversation um yeah yeah. I, I I think I don't necessarily see the film I oh I don't for sure Ex Machina is not a hopeful ending to me um that's for sure um, but for Annihilation, I wouldn't necessarily consider it helpful, but in a way, is it an, accept- an ending that ends in acceptance? Isn't that hopeful? Because to me, that compared to the more, I guess, common or uh, probable ending of a situation or an experience or a journey like that would be self-destruction. They go inside themselves. They... Um, basically break as people but accepting I find to be hopeful a lot of the times even if it's 
a really shitty situation. I think that yeah. when you accept your existence or your life as you know it, that you can find ways to move forward and to find and basically operate as a human being instead of being defined by something. Yeah. Um, that's why I find acceptance. So, I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't think this is a hopeful ending. I think it is somewhat glib, but like it does come with an idea of this is how it is. This is what has changed. They are different people now, either figuratively or literally. Um, and they are going to figure it out together, but like, they'll never be okay with what happened, but they'll find ways to explore it and to kind of understand it. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, I, there's a whole thing about Kane and Lena that I could go into, but I don't think we have that time. I, I, I do think um, kind of with, with those characters, I think that you're totally right. Like that embrace that they have and the way that they kind of come back together it is the most hopeful image in the movie, for sure. Uh, and when I say that I don't see it as a hopeful ending, um, I just mean that to say that I think that, you know, Garland, similarly to Stalker, similarly to like Virginia Woolf and like mm -hmm. The Waves and all of those kind of books that she looks at depression in with To the Lighthouse as well, which is very directly evoked in Annihilation. Um, love and connection and that kind of shared um, community that you ha can have with another person is presented as the only place that is safe and the only thing that you know will not be transformed is what you feel for one another and how you show that you still have the ability to love someone no matter who they are or what they're changing into yeah and there might be a reason why the scenes of of Kane and Lena in their relationship are told through flashbacks and it's not like it's not told literally um from the relationship into him to being deported it's it's just um that's what it, how it will remain it's in the past like it's that only it's only a memory at this point that's such a good you say they're echoes yeah of what or, their once relationship was dare we or, say refractions uh, yeah, maybe you could say that um yeah, I, I mean, just I mean, my whole paper, my whole paper that I did for my class, um, which I've been kind of referring back to here and there what? Um, in, in my mind, um, is I basically did a whole uh, essay about the, co the connection and duality of Lena and Kane's journey and how, and like, the duality of it all and, their, and the echoes of their, um, of their experiences from the Shimmer and blah, blah, blah. But, like, I do think that they, at, like, I think, I don't know, this film has so much like core aspects of it in the sense of it's tackling a lot of different things at its core. But, and so to say that this is what the movie's about, I think is reductive. Oh, sure. But mm -hmm. I do feel that their relationship is the heart of the movie. That being said. <laughs> This is what the heart, about. Not necessarily right. the core. I think that's different, honestly. I think mm -hmm. that's the emotional heart and journey of the film is their, I mean, their relationship. Because, I mean, Lena, I think, goes there in general. Go, like, really wants to go in there for, in general because she wants to redeem herself from being, like, she feels that she failed Kane by, you know, having a relationship or cheating on him when he was um, deployed or, or even when he was still there, maybe. 
because uh, I yeah. think that's also alluded to. Um, so it's so like kind I of think, both professional and personal, I suppose. Mm-hmm. She wants to kind of basically, she wants to save him, but she also wants to prove that like she's not a bad person, even though she wants to save herself too, because it's like yeah, um, a bit related to Cassie, where it's like they're striking by grief and they they feel as though because the shimmer is so unknown that maybe some answers or closure can be found. Um, yeah. So, Isaac, you probably have to start getting going soon, right? Um, yeah. Are you going to call it in another 10 minutes, something like that? Yeah, cool. Yeah, we can let's, go for another uh, 10. Let's just, let's, uh, we can just drop in our favorite, th- favorite scenes if we want to yeah. do that. Isaac, I know you had one pro- uh, you know, pocketed. What's your favorite scene of the film? Uh, my favorite scene of Annihilation is the scene in which Josie uh, begins growing these flowers. Mm-hmm. Took mine. Damn. Flowers. It, it's just, and I'm not surprised it's yours too, man. It's just like, it's such a, and I want to hear your thoughts on it too. Yeah. It's just this impossibly beautiful miniature image of so much of what the film is about. And just this idea, like, you know, you, you're saying, Play, like what the what is annihilation about is kind of a reductive question i would like even lop off a word there it's like what is it how do you understand it and just this whole experience of transformation that the film is going through i think that it's such a beautifully simple scene where josie surrenders to it because she has no idea what will become of her uh but she gives herself to it and as soon as she gives herself to it she no longer is kind of on this journey and she's kind of found her place within this kind of perpetual question of what is, what is it? What it, what is yeah. life? Um, <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. Um, what is love? I, Baby, don't hurt me. All right, sorry. Right, that's the needle drop at that point. If you see um, Scream Bear, I hear he takes mercy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that scene is, is like quietly devastating too. Because the surrender is not uh, pathetic, but it's just, it's you feel courageous. you feel like, what's that? It's courageous, too. Yeah, it's courageous. Um, you feel as though... It is brave. I think it is a it's brave, brave acceptance. Yeah, it's a brave acceptance. And you feel as though, since Josie can find peace and harmony in this place, uh, that maybe she can find inner help because she she find she shows her uh you know weaknesses on her sleeve literally that you think that it's not like you want to see her get better because you don't know if there's going to be an exit but it's like you know you feel like that she, her reactions are so understated mm. it's like you don't think something can take her because she's not trying to fight it but she just gives in so it's like ooh we don't know that we could that we could have done that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Clay, so what's your, what's your wait? Are you gonna just choose his, or are you gonna have, choose a different one? Uh, no, I'll choose a different one, but I'll let you go first. Oh, well, thank you, thank you yeah. so much. Um, Listen, it's the least I can do. I kind of want to choose everything the moment she enters that lighthouse, but I won't be a dick. Um, I kind of want to go with her first. I'll go from her discovering the videotape of Kane uh, basically incinerating himself um, to her going down into the hole and seeing Jennifer Jason Lee um, basically be 
consumed by whatever that is. Um, <laughs> I think that's when the score is at its apex. Is man, because man, well, one, man, there's man. no yeah, there's no yeah. dialogue. Ben, it's big shout out to Ben food. Salisbury, man. He's just oh just, yeah. just an amazing, so score. moody. Yeah. Killed that. Um, yeah. It's just pure visual and music. In that scene of we haven't I mean, even talked about that scene. Like the alien is so. I know. I was waiting. Um, we can keep. Talking but I'm not. I don't want to choose that because I I don't want to take again the whole thing. But just basically that. All right. Well, then I'll of, choose it because we gotta have a gateway into mm-hmm. like bringing it up at some point. But you go first. But I I think that like the pure visual aspect of it. You know, it's a visual medium. Visuals like it's like that whole scene of just the different of like a black hole or portal of some kind. Energy, you know, thing is just collapsing itself and forming into something else. And as Lena stares into it, it become. It's just an incredible piece of filmmaking. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And creative. A design and just and like i'm also like natalie portman let's just say yeah fantastic amazing performance yeah. by her yeah. and her oh like her facial expressions throughout the entire scene are kind of devastating honestly because mm. she is going through something that is beyond explanation and beyond experience and it is kind of like traumatizing in its own effect of questioning everything that there is about humanity and like in science and the world itself so it's yeah. this huge existential moment for her while all us as the audience are going through the most oh, holy shit we have through the whole movie, honestly, I think. It's, it's, so, it's, so, it's so impactful and it kind of uproots everything within ourselves of like how we experience the world and what we expect things to be. It's just yeah. an otherworldly, alien, whatever you want to fucking use, experience of just energy redefining itself uh, like amongst our eyes and taking creating and birthing something new that we've never seen before and And even though this makes this movie special even though it is a passive performance from portman you could call it like she's such a good anchor uh for to be a reactionary um source it yeah fascinating performance my, yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pick the like a portion of the lighthouse sequence, at least maybe until, you know, like you're like I'm coming off from yours, I suppose, to where like it's burst and then you you get the fighting of it and then like sort of when it starts to the reciprocate, yeah, shadow, yeah. yeah. I, what what a like what a design too. Like you feel like you're watching nothing. Mm. I, I guess, or it's like you're just watching, like a like a thing of smoke, I suppose, because it because of its blankness, you don't like your mind is trying to come up with some solution or some face, and and it's like no, it, it's it's just nothing. It's like just let the mystery be. And it feels so. It feels so beautiful, that scene as well. I keep using that word. I just feel like this is such a gorgeous film. But yeah, like, it's a gorgeous movie. Yeah. The, the way it feels so hopeless as she's playing this kind of shadow ballet with this thing that has been birthed in the lighthouse and she cannot escape from it. It is crushing the life out of her. Um, and I think it's so interesting that the only way she's able to ultimately 
get free from it is to give it a device to take itself out. And it does so because that is the point at which kind of you become like this dark mirror version of herself like becomes its own thing when it has a device to kind of destroy itself with, which I think is maybe the film's most damning point about suicide, which is just like, you know, you may be in this battle, but the, the instrument that you use to take yourself out, be it a grenade or a gun or a firecracker or kind of whatever it is in, in Annihilation, that device doesn't, doesn't distinguish. It just mm -hmm. kind of destroys what it destroys. Um, but it, it just kind of absorbs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, right. it is and a thermal grenade, if I'm to be a uh, sure. And, and a refractor, means, if we will. Oh God. <laughs> it, 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 one fun fact with that is that the shadow self is played by Sonoya Mizuno, who will future be the star right. of Devs. Oh yeah, that's right. And she also and is the, the, the other robot in uh, in yeah, the dancer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's the great. Great, and she's so great at playing that kind of character that's another so passive very reactionary character in devs but like between the self and the human and between the tech like i feel mm -hmm. like she's so great at kind of playing that eerie kind of this is too beautiful to be human kind mm -hmm. of like thing. Mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. in in the case of the thing in the lighthouse um i just find that whole scene just so mesmerizing to watch the way that she's coming to face to face with something that's just as terrifying as the scream bear, but it takes a more subtle form to her because it seems like she's facing not a manifestation of everything happening in the shimmer, but this thing that has been created by her own direct exposure to it that is truly just birthed from her. And it's like the thing she's most scared of is just this thing that looks like her, but is stronger. Yeah, and, we, and it's like you don't even have the comfort of knowing, okay, so it's kind of sort of like a bear. Hmm. You don't, yeah. you don't have that. Like, it's a crazy. It's not a crossbreed. Yeah. Get away from it. Um, right. Yeah, I think she, she would have had no problem at that point in the film shooting the hell out of that bear. Yeah. Um, but you, crazy. Know, you can't, you can't destroy this thing that is like, it's like her photo negative in the film. It's like the only way that you can kind of see yourself is through your contrast with this other thing that's in mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I love it. It's just such yeah. a fucking cool movie, right? It's, it's like, so cool. It really is. Um, I'm really glad you chose it. Um, yeah. I didn't have, in the one, in the, I mentioned earlier where like I had to scrub through this film so many times that um, like I, a lot of times I'll get sick of those movies even though I love them. And so even though, so I, I didn't rewatch it for this episode because um, it's just pretty fresh in my mind, even though it was a few months ago. Um, I still still love talking about it mm, after right, yeah. two, like two, like I think four hours of in-class discussion about the film itself and watching it and writing a paper that took uh, another four, four hours or so maybe. Yeah. I, I still love it just discussing the, the film um i think we did ex machina in a film a class powerful piece of art it was just like that too mm -hmm. i mean that's i mean that's the beauty of garland is i mean at least his most recent stuff is um his existentialism and also the his, beach um, eh, but, I, know, yeah I mean, well i mean well, the novel is probably good forgive and forget forgive and forget. The, the novel's probably good i don't know about that movie um the movie eh, yeah. but like i think i do think though that he is a special special creative and writer to tackle nice. the sci-fi genre and he will be 
he'll, I mean, whatever he wants to do next, maybe he wants to go out, outside of sci-fi at some point, but I think that he will be known as later with more projects and such, he will become the Cronenberg or the Philip K. Dick of like, or the, yes, you know, sir. whatever yeah. existential sci-fi writer or director you want to discuss or creative. Lovecraft. Yeah. I, I think, think he is yeah. truly special. I think we'll eventually be discussing him with that same reverence for sure. As like, mm-hmm. you know, Tarkovsky, Cronenberg, I, I see him absolutely eventually finding a way to make something that's commercially viable that carries over so much of his innovation in terms of narrative and emotion. And mm-hmm. I, I can't wait to see it. I mean, Devs for me was kind of like, okay, you need to rein it in a bit, keep it to like two hours because I feel like he, like a lot of Garland goes a long way um mm-hmm. but it, your mileage will vary certainly for sure yeah. um yeah and in, in in kind of putting a bow on talking about annihilation though one thing that i just have to say is that there annihilation is a film that in my view produced some of the most beautiful kind of like personal um insightful criticism of any movie yes. this year um, so I would love to shout out a few people who's writing on it just really me, and I would love to kind of hear from you guys as well. Like if you've read anything that really sticks out to you as being insightful on this, um, I would have to like um, give huge props to Walter Chaw at um, Film Freak Central, whose review of it is in my mind the definitive review of this movie mm. um, because it's so personal. It's so emotional. He couches it in his own experiences with depression, his experiences discussing um, mental illness. Um, I think most of kind of the reference points that we brought up in this conversation are referenced in that movie because that's just how Walter writes. He's like, if you don't read him regularly, you should, because he just has incredible um, knowledge of film and an ability to emotionally weave it to his own experiences. Right. and kind of in that same vein as well, I, I would point to Angelica Bastien. Uh, Angelica J. Bastien is like someone who's writing on this movie similarly threaded the needle for me in a really gorgeous, uh, indispensable way between the personal and the professional. And I feel like this is the kind of movie that demands that kind of involvement and engagement. I know for me, a video essay that really stuck was um from Dan Olson and Folding Ideas. Hmm. He simultaneously critiqued like 10 things you missed in Annihilation type videos with like a red circle and then a red arrow pointing to that, to like an image in the movie. And it's a really great dissection of the movie while also critiquing movie dissections. (laughs) So I think that's that's very interesting. I'll, I'll link to that. Fun and appropriately meta for- Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll just shout out one of my favorite um, film critics out there, uh, Robert Daniels. He wrote a great piece um, for his website, 812 Films Reviews. Um, I think that's really good. Um, I think, oh, there's a few that I've read that I I just don't come directly to my mind. Um, I have like, I want to, I want to guess who wrote what and that I've read, but I don't really feel like doing that. But yeah, yeah, no, just the, everything uh, you guys suggested, please go check out. Um, I mean, this film, like you said, Isaac, is just 
has produced a lot of creative, critical, and um, truly inspiring writing and video essays, like you said, Jack. Like, I think yeah. it's a film to discuss and a film to ponder, for sure. It's a very perplexing movie in the best way. Um, yeah, but Isaac, no, thank I actually, you so much. Oh, here's right, actually right. a fun fact about this podcast, actually. I was originally going to call this Modern Classics. Oh, yeah. And huh. do you remember that? Or did I, I ever tell you that? Did- okay. I do. I never told you. And I think sure this will be a mo- right. I think this will be a modern classic. Like fully this will be in in the vein of like the top 100 American films. It'll definitely be appreciated way more later. Yeah. I think yeah. that's I think that will be I think again it's a, a perplexing movie and it's a it's a movie that drive that give that it, you have a reaction to it, whether that be positive or negative. You don't. I don't think you can be mixed on this kind of a movie. Right. It's just so. It's you just can't just too, leave it on while you're folding laundry. Yeah. You're not like that was okay. Like it's yeah. It's a strong reaction. Yeah. Movie for sure. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of Garland. Um, but Isaac, thank you so much for coming on. Please yeah. come on again anytime you. you want. That would be great. Yada yada um, yada. Thank you so. Where can much. everyone find you on the internet? Um, if you want to find me on the internet, I am, uh, you know, searchable. My I, my name is, is up there, but I'm on Twitter at uh, at Isaac Feldberg, and on Letterboxd, I think also is at Isaac Feldberg. I'm not very creative. Sweet. I never had a gamer tag. Um, so. <laughs> Either. Yeah, I never. I've never been good at brainstorming those. Yeah, pitching myself. I'm not very creative. You can find me here. <laughs> <laughs> but we do actually also need you to throw to give a shout out your social security number oh, okay. um if yeah, you that's usually, yeah, have yeah, that yeah. on hand okay yeah every guest we we would ask after the episode and we and we did never do anything with it ever no no <laughs> I, I didn't understand like you need a tradition right like for right 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 yes yeah. like, it's just good to have usually there's an intro and then like a favorite scene and then social security numbers. security numbers yeah, yeah. are are then <laughs> dispersed um, shared. <laughs> Jack, where can everyone find you? Yeah, uh, I'm Jack A. Draper on Twitter, and I think it's just my name on Letterbox. <laughs> We're going to shout that out again. <laughs> and my writing on movies can be found at The Simple Cinephile on Cineflix Daily. Any new pieces coming out? I always ask you this. I'm always curious. <laughs> you too, yeah. I mean, I like, I, I do ask me more than, more than I ask myself. Well, I mean, um, I, I'm a supportive... I mean, I'm a supportive friend, so. <laughs> I have a few on hold, but yeah, nothing, nothing recently. All right, all right. Well, on tap. Yeah, look out for that. On deck. Um, <laughs> everyone can follow me at Clayfilm100 on Twitter, on Instagram, on Letterbox. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. You can follow our Twitter account, our podcast Twitter account at ETT Pod. You can leave us a voicemail on Anchor. Remember to rate, review, subscribe. Um, next week we have. Oh yeah, yeah. I should probably do this when I'm. Like shouting out my things, but either way, uh, the un- yeah, the unfriended movies with Michael Snydell. That will be very fun. Um, yeah, I've been looking forward. Even though I've not seen those films, I've been looking forward to just discussing them in general. A new um, recent member in the Two Timers. That's always good. Yeah, I can't wait. Can't all right. wait. Um, well, again, thank you all so much for listening, and remember, defund the police. Black Lives Matter. We'll catch you all next time.